KSD Radio proudly presents the mistress of sci-fi herself, Vicky Love, with Vicky Love Sci-Fi. So join her and her co-host as she goes and plunders the world of sci-fi, movies, books, and learning. So here she is, the one, the only, the greatest sci-fi hostess ever. Ladies and gentlemen, Vicky Love! <laughs> oh, that introduction <laughs> cracks me up every time. <laughs> I love the first time I've ever heard that. It's Oh, yes. Um, Hi, everyone. Welcome to Vicky Loves Sci-Fi, another rendition, or if you want to say maybe just a continuation of sci-fi. I'm Vicky Love. I'm your host. I have with me the wonderful producer of this show who produced that opening sequence, Stephen Ronquillo. Yay! Hello, everybody. And and with us, the triumvirate is now complete. We used to do shows together all the time. Is our our now our guest host from another network, Carl Keeper. Yay! Say hi, Carl. Yay. Thank you very much for having me on. This is not only a pleasure; it is an honor to be here. And to hear that intro, I'm never going to forget that intro as long as I live. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, actually, but it's got the Star Trek theme music. And since we're going to be talking about the passing of the great Douglas Trumbull, I mean, that's it's so on point and important and cool, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so we're gathered here to pay our respects to a man who deserved a million, million, gazillion awards and never was recognized by that, that thing that came out <laughs> this week, the Oscars, um, Douglas Trumbull. He was, um, special effects, practical effects, and um, his career span directing, producing, writing, and making. And so it's sad that he's gone, but we want to congratulate him for what he did for our movie experience. Go ahead, Stephen. And if you have a high-end stereo system listening to this show, you owe him thanks for that. Because he was the one who took audio to the next level, wasn't he, Carl? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he not only did that, he did so many things. He uh, uh, was instrumental in uh, developing IMAX. He even developed all the visual uh, 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 bells and whistles for Back to the Future amusement ride at Universal Studios. So this man had his hands in everything well that's because in his accolades 
And everyone, uh, I know a couple of personal friends of his, everyone calls him the great inventor because he would invent things so that the film would look realistic no matter what the film was. And so he didn't just paste things together or, or, you know, special effect this and that. He also invented things like taking stereo to the next level. And so, I mean, a mind like that is more than just your average person involved in film. That's the creative mind that all of us wish we had. And, and so I, I, I want to just start by saying I really absolutely loved his films and everything, but I did not notice his name. Okay, this is a really sad thing that I'm admitting right now. I did not notice his name until 1983. Uh, I had seen Star Lost on TV. I had seen silent running the movie but i had never seen um i'd never noticed his name until the film brainstorm came out i was so so blown away by that well i wouldn't be embarrassed because uh uh when it just takes a certain thing i don't know why it just happens doesn't call when you start to Put things together and recognize there. Like, uh, no one has been able to do uh, walking in anti-gravity like 2001. And yeah. Even if you, if you don't know how he did it, you still wouldn't know by looking at that scene today. Your jaw just drops. Right. Right. And like I said, you know, the Star Trek theme music opened up this episode. and And yet... When I watched and I loved that movie, I know there's a lot of controversy and everything, but we're going to set that aside. I love that movie. And when I saw the Starship Enterprise for the first time on the big screen, I'm just like, I was, I was spellbound. And uh, still, I didn't, I didn't look for his name. I didn't look for who helped bring this to life. Same with Close Encounters. And I loved Andronima Strange. That was one of my favorite movies as a kid, along with 2001. But did I ever look for his name? Not until Brainstorm. And that's, that's a shame right there. Yeah. What about you guys? When, when I mean, do you, I don't know, when did you first uh, notice that this Trumbull dude was, like, the best in what he did? Well, when I watched uh, 2001, when I was like 13 or 14, and my jaw just dropped how realistic it was and mm-hmm. how he was the first one to really do, one of the first ones to really do starships in outer space without a string on him, or it didn't look mm-hmm. like a toy rocket ship with a sparkler coming out of its butt. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny, but that's true, though. Think of um, Flash Gordon. I'm thinking of Flash Gordon right now. I know that was a long time ago, almost yeah. 100 years ago. And Flash Gordon did have that sparkler coming out of its really cool silver spaceship. Okay, I love that spaceship. 
Well, you can tell the first film that I think that they actually tried to make a realistic outer space thing, and he wasn't involved was Marooned, and that one was '68. Well, so I think I, that came out in '59, but but uh, they were in production at the same time. Clockwork, I mean not Clockwork Orange. Uh, 2001 and Marooned were in production at the same time. Yeah. Right. And so he was doing two movies at the same time. Yeah. And that's pretty hard. And they're (laughs) so different from each other. And they were also in different countries. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe he cloned himself. (laughs) Now, Now, for me, the first time I ever saw saw and, and noticed Trumbull. Uh, now, I'm basically the same age as Dick, and, and we're, we're a little older than, than Stephen. I was about 11, well, no, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and Silent Running came on HBO. We had a, uh, we had a uh, test market for HBO or, or maybe the movie channel. I'm not sure which one. But uh, I saw that. And and by that time, I loved movies so much, I would always find out who the director was. And it was Douglas Trumbull did did uh, Silent Running, and of course, it also had Bruce Stern, who at that time I loved too. So so yeah, that's when I first knew the name. I had seen uh, 2001 um, on TV, but I didn't really check out. You know, on TV, they don't really run the end credits or even the beginning credits that much. So well, yeah, you'd have to be that. a speed reader even faster than I am to read the credits <laughs> in the 1970s movies. When they showed them on TV, it was like, oh, 30 seconds, I think. That's right. That's right. I used to try to read the Star Trek, the end of the Star Trek um, episodes. And it's like blink, 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 done. <laughs> yeah. So, I um, yeah, I'm not like you guys. Um, story is everything to me, and so I was so much into story for the longest time in my early life. All I ever looked at was who wrote the story. I didn't care about directors. I didn't care about special effects. I mean, I did, but I didn't. I. I didn't know how much they contributed because I was just too much in the story. You know, I was writing stories when I was seven years old. So, I mean, forgive me, but that's what my life was all about. And so well, I forgive but, you. But, thank you. Well, you know, no, um, uh, as I've called it before, Vicky, it's all a blind, uh, uh, men in the elephant situation. Everybody comes towards it at a different angle and get and yep. goes for different parts of it, but they all come together into one thing at the end. You say, right. Carl? I, I would I would definitely agree with that. I uh, you know the thing is there are certain things that grab you. Me being a musician, it's score, it's 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 special effects and visuals. How do they do that? And so on and so forth. So, you know, we all have something that draws us to film and to TV. Right. And, and, and right. it's all good. It doesn't matter what it is. And literature. Right. That's true. Yes. And right. li- yeah. The number one 
literature. I'm trying to get my students to understand that that story is everything or else we wouldn't know anything about Homer and the stories he told about Achilles and all the Greek um, mythologies because it all comes from people telling stories back when there, no one wrote them down. It was all oral storytelling. And, you know, it's amazing when you think about it. Your brain gives you this running picture and everything. And now with technology over the past, what, 100 years, 150 years, human beings have, have used their imaginations to try to bring what's in your head onto the screen. And Trumbull was one of those geniuses doing that, helping us realize what we were dreaming about. So yeah. it was enhancing what we what we so desired to see in film. Which honestly was taking sci fi from the way Hollywood thought was it was Kitty G Bob Julie Golly G Wiz and yep. take it into more realistic directions. Right. And, and, exactly. And I would say I would say the one thing when I look at Trumbull and what he did on film, uh, I really connect him with George Melee because Melee at the beginning of film was looking for a way to really entrance people and show them things that they'd never seen before. And Trumbull just did that in a very realistic way. So if you see the, the, the sequence, uh, you know, we were talking about the Enterprise. I sent that whole thing on, on the sequence of the Enterprise to you and, 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 and Limes. Um, and, it, you know, the way he did it and the way that it was shot and that he was trying to do it very quietly without any dialogue so you could see the majesty. And that's what, what, what Trumbull did. He showed you the majesty in such a way that it was very realistic and, and, and the time frame, too. If you take a look at how long that sequence is, that sequence is like three minutes of right. the film. Right. It, um, <laughs> it, it was like a, um, uh, a valentine to the fans. That's how it's and, described. Uh, wasn't the Star Trek, the motion picture, Vicky Carl, the film that created outer space launches, Seen uh, the Enterprise in its Star Dock. I know that was the first time with that, yep. but wasn't that the movie that created no. that idea of going from a smaller spaceship to the bigger one that's already fueled in an outer space, just waiting to be launched? Yeah, I think yes. so. I think so. But what what it's I was going to say idea. too. Oh, go ahead. What I was going to say ahead. is, with that amount of time that he takes in that sequence, it, you know, you are drawn to it and he wants to make it as real, like you're experiencing it, like you're in that shuttle with Shatner. And, and that's right. what he did. And, and it's just an amazing sequence. And you look at the sequences at 2001, you look at the sequences at, at uh, um, um, Silent Running or anything that he did. And it's just like, it's unbelievable how real it is. And he did that all with miniatures, with lighting, all practical effects. Just, I mean, the man's a genius to do that. Seriously. Yes. yes. Very much a genius. Um, and uh, uh, 
Star Trek the motion picture was the first one to show them actually working bugs out of a newer model of a ship. Like with, uh, I know some fans hate it, but I just like the wormhole scene because it actually shows, you know, them actually having to work the bugs out of a new ship. Right, and um, I mean, true Star Trek fans love that movie. And the wormhole scene, not... Uh, it only I don't even know who it bugs. But anyway, I'm not going to try to figure that one out. Um, the whole thing is is that um, trying to be realistic was, was exactly why he was always brought into these projects. Steven Spielberg wanted a realistic rendition of what may happen when a starship from outer space comes down and exchanges people, right? And um, Kubrick wanted a realistic um, uh, adventure into space and then into dimensional space or or whatever the monolith is, which is an open-ended thing that Kubrick doesn't want anyone to answer. And well, Trumbull's if you read like, the yep, book uh, that. that it was, it was supposed to be markers, not markers in uh, direction, but markers in evolution to let whoever right. is at the end tell that we've gotten to the moon and they're ready for the next. We're ready for the next step. Right, and you know, here's a here's a coincidence. Uh, I watched in one uh, the night that he died. I mean, he before I knew that, that Trumbull had died, I woke up the next morning and saw that he had died overnight. And I watched the whole movie, 2001, and I never can get enough of that movie. It's probably the movie I watched the most of all the sci-fi movies I have. And uh, at once I was thinking wow, how crazy is it that he now has taken that journey? And I wasn't thinking about the 2001 journey, but the brainstorm journey. He has now taken that journey that he has shown us over and over in all his greatest works. And that was like a humbling moment. Yeah, he saved that ending because there was supposed to be the last 20 minutes of the movie, they didn't get the film because of the incidents, which we pretty much all know about, or you can research right. it. So right. basically he had to pull the ending out of his hat with that. And I think he did a pretty good job. Well, well I you agree. Know, he did. He's already explored that with his his um, special effects and his inventions and everything of special effects. And so bringing that together was probably not as hard as people make it to sound. That's what I think. Well, from what I read, that, that he went to the set the day after the incident, and they were just tearing out pages of script and saying, we don't have an ending. We're going to have to shelve this movie. Yeah, but yeah. he was in charge, though. That was that movie may have never 
um, come to the screen had he not been in charge. Agreed. Think about that. Think mm-hmm. about that because he, with all his experience, 2001 and um, Star Trek, uh, the the V'ger sequence, the wormhole sequence, the ending of the V'ger sequence in Star Trek, all these different, um, the 2000, I mean, um, uh, Close Encounters, all these different ones that led up to the brainstorm. He had all this experience, and of course, his brain went, hey, I have an ending. What are you guys thinking? Stop tearing things down. So I want to just jump in here for a second. Uh, It's funny. We we talked about where we first saw or noticed the name of Trumbull, but I was doing a little bit of research. Okay, my parents took me to the New York World's Fair in 1964. I was six years old. How cool is that? Okay. And I absolutely wanted to go to the spaceport where they showed a film of, of, of perspective, what it was going to be like in space. Guess who directed that film and who did the special effects? You. You know, I mean, I mean, it is amazing to me that this man was in my life for basically my whole life. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the other thing we haven't mentioned talking about whole life is that he uh, produced a film that just came out, what was it, two or three years ago, Stephen? Um, the Man Who Killed yeah. Bigfoot and then... Oh, Earth, yeah, or, we have... You haven't even got there yet, Carl. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, yeah. I know. but I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying what, that the whole period of time. About, uh, Stephen, Star hang on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. All I was going whole... to say to finish up is that my whole life, he's there with me, and he's not there anymore. And that's really, really sad. Yes. Seriously. I agree. Okay, we're going into spoiler territory now, but I love... Nowadays, how uh, uh, Star Trek the motion picture starts out with this fantastical idea of this demonic being, the V'ger, in outer space. And when they get there, it brings it back to us. Because was it how long before that that the actual Voyager satellite was launched? In 1976, I know that. Yeah. Or it was actually, it was launched um, actually in 74 or 75, and it yeah. flew by Mars in 76. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And, yeah. they came, and he turned it along with Roddenberry from this fantastical monster into, the well, the Voyager satellite met the aliens, and it got synonyms. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so really. uh, I um, we haven't even we haven't even mentioned what comes next in his um, filmography, and that's uh, the one movie that almost everyone has seen, and that's um, Blade Runner. Everyone, when you say Blade Runner, one of the very first pictures that pops into your head is that LA scene, right? Oh. Yep. Yeah. 
and all and, that kill. That's what he was known for, is his detail to make things look real. And that the whole L.A., um, all every scene is just his signature everywhere. Yeah, to yeah, me, like, watching that film was, uh, you see the, the shot of the, the Coke commercial and the Asian woman and all that. And I, I remember yeah. seeing that in the theater. And I just looked at myself and I mumbled to myself, that's got to be Trumbull. It has to be. And it was. And uh, yeah. if you watch the final cut version, which is great, the opening scene with no dialogue for like four minutes, uh, what uh, really Scott calls the descent in the hell scene. With mm-hmm. the plate shooting out everywhere and then it gets into Decker's partner's eyeball then it just kept showing the two things until they come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a um, that's a Trumbull signature. Yeah. I mean, those long sequences keeping a human being uh, interested for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four, five minutes without words. That's 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 his specialty. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. And so Blade Runner, everyone, when when you talk about Blade Runner, yes, of course, people talk about the actors and the stories, but mostly people will mention first the visuals. Yeah. And that's the mark of some really, really good and lasting And if you watched any cyberpunk movie from, like, Akira, the animated classic, on, you will see Trumbull's work inspired it from Blade Runner. Oh, absolutely. Right. Right. Yes, everything in Blade Runner is one of the most visually influential films of all time. You know, so it's why funny did he get a, uh, an Oscar? <laughs> no, no, which is awful. You know, it, I was just going to say, you all know what I think about Tolkien K. Dick and, and how much I was happy to see Blade Runner up there and so on and so forth. But what's, what, what do I always say about it first? It's the visuals. Yeah. The visuals make that film, not Philip K. Dick. You know, Philip K. Dick had his... You know, I mean, it's his story, that sort of thing, uh, but it's not really the the story, but it, it's the visuals. And right, that's it's trouble. not really. The cult no. following for Blade Runner is definitely the visuals. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And it's One sad of my that actors, the studio didn't have enough face in the Blade Runner to let it go out uh, uncut. Yeah. Well, then we wouldn't have all these precious cuts of the movie, and I like all of them. I'm in the mood for the voiceover. I'm in the mood for the director's cut. I'm in the mood for, and so uh, in a way, it's frustrating, but in a way, I'm really happy I own all those. (laughs) You know, come on. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then what I was going to say is that one of my actors in our feature film that we're filming, she is fantastic with costumes. She makes costumes. And talking about um, uh, uh, details, she, for this past Halloween at a, at a, uh, a, a big con that she went to, um, she made Rachel's coat, the coat that she wears to um, Deckard's apartment. And you can't, you can't say, oh, I don't know what coat you're talking about, right? Because everything in that whole movie is so detailed, and, and people love it so much that here's a young lady in her early 20s who took a piece of that detail. I'm not saying that Trumbull um, created that coat. Although who knows, maybe he did, and the costume. Um, I think he did uh, have a lot of uh, dealing with the costuming and stuff. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like Carl said, genius, such a bloody mm-hmm. genius that that there are people who are just now becoming adults who are looking at that work and being inspired by it, copying it. You know. It just gave me chills. I just got chills from that. That's, by the that's way, Vicky, you know, a true legacy. By the way, Vicky, I hate to admit it, but I don't know what coach you're talking about. Oh, Carl. The fur of course coat. Don't. The, what, the, the coat, the big coat <laughs> with the cold fur kidding. Wait, is that because she wasn't blue and you never yeah, notice exactly. women who aren't she blue? You know, I bet that Douglas Trumbull loved Farscape because Farscape has that kind of detail in it that hardly any other show ever did, except Star Trek. Um, uh, My friends, um, Michael and Denise Okuda, Michael Okuda is very well known, many accolades, many awards. He's um, done many of the uh, patches for the Star for Starfleet plus NASA. He does. He, he's just a fantastic. And then the two of them together worked with Trumbull on on many different sets, bringing all the panels to life. And um, how how. How cool is that? That your your um, apprenticing is with Douglas Trumbull, and then you go on to make these patches. I, that's just one of the things that Michael Okuda does, and um, many of us have have um, their books, um, Denise and Michael's books that they've written on Star Trek. But um, the patches are so detailed and so beautiful. And uh, NASA is like, oh, we need some new patches. Michael, will you do these for us? And so uh, his inspiration, he wrote a big, he wrote a long thing on Facebook about Douglas and how they worked together and how he was inspired by him. And I just think that we don't understand how much that man inspired everything. Those of us who love sci-fi, we don't know how much of what we see was inspired by Trumbull's work. Well, look at the 70s and 80s at the points where people consider, well, 2001 raised the bar in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Trumbull, mm-hmm. 1980s. 
Well, Blade Runner, raise the bar. There's trouble again. It just exactly. seems like in the 70s and 80s, and you might bring up something in the 90s, but it just seems like every time sci-fi's bar was raised back then, there was trouble doing the lifting. Right. Yeah. Right. Really good point, Stephen. Really good point. Yes. And he did a lot of documentary work and a lot of other um, types of work so that between Blade Runner and uh, Tree of Life, which was a visual feast, oh, my gosh. The story might not have been as coherent as I would have liked it, but that movie was a visual feast. Your eyes couldn't stop looking at it. It was beautiful. Between those two, he did all kinds of other work. Um, a lot of documentaries, a lot of sci-fi documentaries. He did a lot of um, interview work. Um, when when people are being interviewed on film with um, uh, props and everything, Trumbull did a lot of that kind of stuff too. Yeah. And let's not be honest, IMAX, when it first came out, was – a thrill ride, and it was sold mm-hmm. as that. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that when it was like, "Come see the world underwater in IMAX." Right. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. And in fact, I've taken students to that because they still run those old ones uh, at the Tech Museum in in San Jose for the the middle schoolers. I um uh, I've seen plenty of those. <laughs> so they're still good for today for kids for today even though they're like attached to their phones. <laughs> they're like little boards. <laughs> that's that's another thing I wanted to say is that with CGI and that you can tell it's CGI. And it dates. Yeah. But Trumbull's yeah. work doesn't it doesn't right. date. No, you know CGI why? is because like any tool. CGI needs yeah. its own Douglas Trumbull, the one that will take it from being fantastical to realistic. I agree. He always had that realistic um, uh, eye. That's what he's known for, is making it realistic. And so... Um, when you watch, okay, I just watched it, what, last week, 2001. Still, when you're watching the very first space sequence and you see those spaceships and you know that they're practical and they're all white and you're thinking about it, and then you see the little windows and behind those little windows, it's not black, there's things going on that was tumble doing that and so you're like okay that's a model all right maybe dated but wait a second there's something going on inside that little spaceship and that's what it does that's what he did to take your eye and bring you inside look at this is a model but let's go inside and see what's going on that's so awesome and like i said the thing with the air hostress in outer space in 2001. Until I watched the documentary, I didn't realize that everything in that room was moving, but the woman who was walking, 
she was just walking <laughs> in place while the room moved, the camera moved. Yep. And it just looked yep. real, didn't it, Carl? Yeah, it did. It did. It just, it's so incredibly real looking. And she picks up the pen and she gives it back to um, Dr. Floyd, you know, and he's asleep. She puts it in his little pocket, you know, and it's just like, well, that's what you would do, right? Because it's not ever going to drop. There's not going to be some, like, Star Trek, push the button, gravity, (laughs) And then also, how about that sequence when they're coming up to the space station and the spaceship, which is pretty cool looking. I mean, our um, space shuttles look just like that spaceship. When it matches the rotation of the space station so it can dock, that is just, that's beyond. People never seen something like so realistic before. It's so great. And all the lighting. You know, he was a master at lighting, too. He would use light. And and that's why it's not dated. Because it's not special effects, zero, zeros, and ones, and zeros, and ones, and zeros. It's actually real effects, lighting effects. That don't, your eye picks up on the reality of it. So cool. Well, I love 2010, but it is too much of the 80s to really, I think, younger ones to watch. But still, anyone of any age could watch 2001 and still be like, Yeah, There's nothing in 2001 that puts it in the 70s, even with the politically. Mm-hmm. And how hard yeah. is that to really make a movie of the time, in the time, but not make it of the time, one way or another? So, right. So right. I want to talk about one other thing that we haven't really talked about. <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about Tree of Life. Um, yeah. But, but his work on there, when he did Brain Scan, that was to show case uh, um, a program that he called ShowScan, which was a specific camera that was going at high speed, okay? And he used it on BrainScan and they combined that wait, with wait, some other... Wait, wait, are you talking about the film Brainstorm? Brainstorm, okay? okay he developed right. a thing for Brainstorm called ShowScan, mm-hmm. okay, which was uh, uh, he used in that final sequence where the, where the camera runs more and it runs faster and it shows, you know, it's almost like uh, uh, shows the whole 360 almost uh, degrees of what it can show. And so with that, he combined that in, in um, Tree of Life with other things uh, so that, uh, you know, uh, fewer practical scenes had to be shot and so on and so forth. But then... Guess who took that and used it on his film two years later? And that would be James Cameron. So Avatar, and now we all know I'm not real fond of James Cameron. Right. Avatar uh, 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 used that 
and he's continuing to use that in his uh, sequels that will be coming up. And guess what? He's actually giving uh, uh, our, our Douglas Trumbull credit for this, which is impressive for Cameron. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well, he's been sued so many times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let's be honest. Carla just admitted that he loves the crappy 1990s video game horror film called Brain Scan. I never yeah. thought he would admit it. <laughs> and, and I also love that one too, but <laughs> I like that one too, but for different reasons. I meant brainstorm. Yeah, and don't forget, brainstorm uh, was uh, road showed, and uh, I don't think there were that many put out, but I remember a seventy millimeter print coming to Knoxville. Same with uh, Star Trek the movie too. Right. Right, I know that. Okay, so I know that I've had an experience that I don't think you guys have had. Um, uh, Douglas Trumbull did the video short for Back to the Future Ride. And back then, we were one of the first um, people, um, Fred and I, my husband back then, uh, we were one of the first groups of people to ride that ride, and it was fantastic. We sat down in that. Now, now everybody does it. They have them in traveling, um, traveling carnivals and everything. But back then, in 1991, it was a brand new experience where you sit in this mechanical thing and it moves around as the visuals come at you on a big screen. And that was Douglas Trumbull directed that sequence for that ride. And it was fantastic. It was great. I have to tell you that that's one of my favorite memories. I don't like Disneyland very much, but that was fun. And boo to Universal Studios Florida for getting rid of Back to the Future to ride. I forgot what they had it with. Oh, yeah, boo. What's he doing? He didn't just do the film. He helped develop that ride. Right, he did. And I remember because okay, we let's wanted sure to buy tickets. Yeah. Yes. Well, she said yes, directed right. it, Carl. And so, yeah, so directors pretty much help create things. But anyway, he, yeah, because we were we were ready to go. And like everyone, and we had to postpone and postpone because – there were lots of mechanical problems. The film was fine. There were mechanical problems, sequencing problems. And so all of that, uh, and then back then, that's when um, my husband just got into pneumatics instead of hydraulics, and it was the hydraulics that were messing up, and the pneumatics came in and made the ride smooth. <laughs> And so, yeah, like we could get really into the technical of this. <laughs> but, yeah, Trumbull, that's his, that was his baby. Absolutely. And he also Absolutely. did uh, work or was credited for some of his inventions on Terminator 2, The Ride, uh, yep. Captain Joe. Yeah, yep, all of those. I, did, I rode the Terminator ride also. That was in uh, like 2000, 
2004 or 2005. But I rode the Terminator ride. I rode the Jurassic Park ride. Um, Yeah, heck, (laughs) I used to go to an amusement park. Can you imagine how much he's probably made off of all of his patents through the years? Uh, that's why he didn't have to work very much after yeah. uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> well, actually, he was inventing things. That's the whole thing, is that his, his one of his titles is inventor. He invented all kinds of things that we're not even talking about, we don't even know about, that he has the patents on. That gave him a really nice, comfortable life and a fun life. Can you imagine doing what you love to do instead of teaching school? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that, uh, you know, the one thing is he actually had a, uh, uh, where he was living, which I think was Massachusetts, I'd have to check. Uh, He had, he was teaching people, he was inventing, he was doing things for, for for others and and there's another thing too talking about that you know one of the things that really hit me about Trumbull as I was thinking about his his career and what he did is really if you take a look at the films he did and what projects he was involved with he was very much a humanist he wanted to enhance our lives as human beings on this earth and one of the things he did which I don't know if you guys know was, do you remember the BP oil spill back in the yeah. early 2000s? Yeah, he had yeah, the bacteria. Right. So he, he did? promoted a video uh, of, of something he, he was working on to cap the oil spill. And, and uh, it was scuttled. But, you know, he said later that he didn't want any money from it. He just wanted the oil spill taken care of and that's why he he devoted time to figure out how to do it quickly and and though it was never implemented at the time it's now implemented now and they use his technology to to stop oil spills this is what he did it's amazing and it don't forget him and cameron worked together to create the underwater breathing apparatuses for the abyss and what i mean is the logistics of the liquid air that they used in it oh you know what that's one of the most horrifying things i ever saw i don't care (laughs) blood and guts um scary monsters well except for the alien that breathing liquid like that oh god almighty i don't know i don't think i could ever do that Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, Trumbull really stressed. He said most people, when they would first do something like that, James, would panic. Yeah. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, you know, I I, I can see plenty of reasons why, especially deep sea Diving and stuff, you would need to do that, but oh, that's not a job for me. <laughs> not even close. Wow, what an imagination, huh? <laughs> God. Well, I can remember when Jurassic Park went out. Did I go for uh, the dinosaurs? No. 
did I go for a new little invention that Trumbull did called uh, DTS? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I had to wait till 8 o'clock, and I got to the movie theater about 2. Because the 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 7 o'clock shows of Jurassic Park and DTS was sold completely out. The regular <laughs> ones were just open. I could have just gone and watched the movie easily, but I wanted to see it in DTS. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And so why don't we talk about the film that we all like, which was the last one that he directed? Well, he produced. He produced. What? Oh, wait, He produced it. He didn't direct it. Oh, what? Oh, he produced it. Okay. You're right. Not Golden Eyes. I'm not talking about Golden Eyes. You're right. Well, why would he produce a film like that? I'll tell you why. why. I, I've got a good answer for this, actually. Okay, good. Because I, I mentioned how much he was a humanist and, and how much, if you take a look at Silent Running, it's about, it, it, it's about uh, the environment. You, you, you know, and you take a look at all these things that he's done, the BP and so on and so forth. The man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot isn't about killing Hitler and Bigfoot. It's about right. growing old. It's about regrets. It's about real relationships with your family. Uh, and and to me, that's a very mature film uh, that's in the guise of something slightly you know stupid, at least by the title. But it's not. It's something completely different, and I can see him – Absolutely, reading that script and saying, this has to be done, and I'm going to make sure it's going to be done. Yeah, and I know what the the Trumbull shot in that movie was. It was the bit right before Elliot goes up in the mountain, and you see, like, the plague camp and the fire circle around the mountain. Uh-huh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. And plus, yeah, the movie uh, is uh, also about, you know, reality versus fantasy. Like, the fantasy is, he's the man who killed Hitler. And then when they finally get to him, yeah, I shot Hitler. But then they had to look like replace him within two weeks. So what I did really didn't mean squat. Yeah. It, 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 it's such a wonderful film. And I'm so glad, Stephen, that you basically nodded me into watching that because when I finally watched that, my mouth was on the floor. I was just blown away by that film. Seriously. And it's all yeah. because of yeah. you. Well, it's all because yeah, of William mom, Happy and him programming in on the KHS. Yeah. My mom made me watch it. Because Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Star. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? We're watching 1883 right now because I, I bought the stupid Paramount, you know, bought into Paramount Plus, not for Star Trek, not for Picard, so my mom could watch Sam Elliott in 
Well, <laughs> really damn good Josh Hadley uh, posted this on uh, Facebook last night. He said, his girlfriend says, you're probably gay because you have a man crush on Sam Elliott. And he just looked at it and said, everybody has a crush on Sam Elliott. Yes, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's plus, true. there's a little oh. moment I love after he shoots the Bigfoot, and it's pretty much ended, and he's just like crying, going, I'm sorry, over and over yeah. again. Yes. Oh, is that, who doesn't cry at that moment? Please. <laughs> please. You know, please and one please. other thing I do want to talk about that movie very briefly is his relationship with his brother. And his brother is played by Larry Miller. And I think Larry Miller does a wonderful job with that role. And I think that relationship is really well written. Yeah, everything is like well written in that movie. What do you mean? What? what? Everything is well written in that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, It's I don't know. I you know what you know what I think about when I think about that movie. The, all, all the scenes that you're talking about are good and everything, but there's a scene where he's walking and the sun is going down and he's outside his house and he's all alone and he's reflecting as he's walking. And that scene just struck me. That just yeah. hit me hardest of all the different scenes of just him walking back to his house at night. I think he was in the backyard and there's a wood pile or something and he's just walking. And I thought to myself, that's all of us. That's us right there as we are yeah. walking towards our death. That, that, that's us. Yeah. Every single one that's of us. That's all of us. Yes. And yeah. it's such a, a, it's such a moment, such a bloody moment. That movie should be up for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, yeah Douglas Trumbull did everything. But the biggest thing that he did is he took sci-fi and what I call science faction. I would call really Trumbull the father of that. Because yeah, I, yeah. it takes someone like Trumbull to basically take what they were doing in movies, which is Star Wars, pew, 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 before that, <laughs> and get into realistic like uh, Maroon, someone trapped in the space, uh, Silent Running, which basically showed the boredom of outer space. Right, right, right. I agree. I agree. Wouldn't you say? And I know that Stephen doesn't like that movie that much, but but listen, that poker game is just incredible. Of course, I'm a poker fan, so there you go. Yeah. Okay. You know what I love about um, Silent Running are those big domes of um, trees and 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 greenery. I love that. And there's oh, a there's a film, I mean a film. There's a series called Night Flyers. Um, uh, um, Martin, the guy who did uh, Game of Thrones, the writer. I can't think of his first name. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, he wrote that. It's a short story called Night Flyers, and, and Netflix thought they were going to make a, a series out of it. So there's a season one. And the spaceship that these people are on have four domed uh, uh, pieces just like Silent Running. And it, it's like it's a, a tribute to the special effects, the practical effects of that movie. It's just, um, that's what I, when I think oh. of um, Silent Running, that's the first Trumbull and the uh, domed city-type spaceships. Let's talk about the one that your friend loved, Carl, that, I mean, Vicki, uh, that show, The Star Lost. Which was right. a great idea, run by idiots in charge of it, to quote Harlan <laughs> Ellison. <laughs> well, what can you say? Huh? Seriously. I mean, on um, paper, it's a brilliant idea, isn't it, Carl? That they would absolutely. go from like, different genres to genre to genre. And then at the end, find out that they're actually on a spaceship, and then everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I. And... Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Vic. Oh no, you oh. go ahead and then I'll jump in. No, no. Cause, well, this is an addendum to that. Yes, and I have an addendum after that. So go ahead. Okay. Well, they tried <laughs> to take that idea and do it on. Uh, uh, another show called Ascension, where actually, and I don't care if this is a spoiler because um, they did it so poorly, but it was a, supposedly a really huge ship, and it was going to be a generational ship on its way somewhere. I can't even remember where it was going because Earth is dying, of course, an old trope, and um, and so, but as they got further and further back into the ship, they found out that the ship was just still on Earth. The problem with the with the engines wasn't that they were malfunctioning. The problem with the engines were that they were just still on frickin' Earth. And so it's the same idea. The same mm-hmm. idea. And it failed. It failed greatly. That makes my head so- hurt just listening to that, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a story about that. Okay, uh, I was living in in uh, Frederick, Maryland, and uh, Russell came down to D.C. and I I drove down to D.C. to meet him and talked to him. We and, and we went back to the hotel room. And he says, "I got something to show you." Okay, <laughs> so went up and he had a, a, a disc of the Star Lost, which I'd never seen before. And and he had like the first two episodes, so went through the first episode, and, and uh, was about a, a third way through the second episode. I said, I know you love this show, Russell, but to be honest, this is pretty bad. And he looked at me. And I says, I know it's a goddamn shame, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God! I, I thought you would want to hear that. Then. Yeah. Vicky's yeah, show is that. like, uh, what's wrong with the car, man? The engine isn't working. <laughs> I don't know. And then after 20 minutes, did you even try to start it? No. 
Yeah, I yeah, I was so disappointed I mean, in that show. <laughs> if you really look at the Star Lost Bible, which uh, uh, they did a book, Harlan did of his scripts and stuff. That would have been a beautiful idea with one hell of a punchline, sort of like Disney. Right. Well, you know what? Don't you think that that's what he was going for? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Him and Trumbull both. But then right. the producers came up to him. He's like, okay, it's the second episode. We're going to show you the the main thing of the ship. But that's the end of the series. Yeah, but we don't want to leave our <laughs> audience waiting that long. But that's the fucking ending of the series. There is nothing place to go. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work. And he goes to the other domes to try to get help to fix the ship. stupid well that's who execs are what would our lives be without execs uh better (laughs) 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 look like i said i designed for the ship and the way the domes were supposed to be set up is gorgeous well yeah it's it is it's very beautiful and practical, and you feel like you could live there. You actually feel like you're like, okay, I could live there if I had to. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, of course. Of course. (laughs) 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 Laughing over that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You you know, because look at Trumbull was also involved in – one of the films that's most famous for the execs getting uh, getting their ways, and that's Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm. We need a voiceover. If there's no voiceover, no one's going to understand what the hell is going on. Because <laughs> <laughs> Americans well, were dumb. Well, look at uh, uh, the first of it. Uh, you had the Shaw brothers involved in it. You had Alan Ladd's company you had right. Warners. You know, the Lad Company did um, uh, one of the last films I think they did was um, 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 Tree of Life. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is famously the movie that I always remember this photo and I love it. It had a theater that said, if you want your money refunded after the first 10 minutes of the film, you will not get a refund. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious and sad. <laughs> but I, I, I have to sad. admit, I have to admit that watching the Tree of Life at the end of that movie, yeah. I had tears in my eyes. Seriously, and I think I'm it's not good. defending the film, but I blame the reviewers. Because none of yeah. them, except for people yeah. like you and Carl, would say, okay, this is a trippy, discombobulated film in its storytelling. <laughs> yes. You know. Well, you know, critics, they just don't know much. <laughs> well, it's what they left out. You, uh, If you did a review of that, even though you love it, you would make sure to... Notice that so people wouldn't get angry about that part of it, Carl. 
Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the thing I would say, if I were reviewing that, you know, after it came out, is that it's a visual feast. I would certainly mention Trumbull, and I would mention that. I would say also you need to be patient with this film. It is not spoon-fed to you. It is not linear. You have to yeah, make your own decisions. Or that you could just put it one in one thing. sentence. This is a masterpiece of nonlinear storytelling. Yep. If yeah. you're not exactly. into that genre, don't watch this movie. But for the rest of us who are, this is our moment in the sun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nonlinear. There's plenty of people out there that will go see once, twice, three times nonlinear films because they like that kind of storytelling. Meet and on the so bones. For, if the um, if the execs are afraid of that, then they should pull their money out at the very beginning and let other execs who aren't afraid of that fund the film. So Wasn't there. this the film that Malik did after the Thin Red Line, Carl, where he yes. got his best reviews in God knows how many years since his last That was movie? the new land, actually, wasn't it? What? what? Was that the new land after after uh, um, Thin Red Line? I think so. Yeah. The new land? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah his career. Oh, I don't even know that. Or is that his Pocahontas movie? I forget which one it was. That's basically his Pocahontas movie, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't even know it. I've never even seen it. Wow, that's weird. Because Malik is, it's one of his films that he's taken out of print and he's fiddling with. Oh, Oh, okay. Right, Carl? Right, he's been fiddling for a while. Maybe not as long as with Ben Benders and Until the End of the World. But nonetheless, he's been fiddling. Okay. All right. Well, that's why I don't know it. That seems odd. But thank you for because everything I... that you've done, Douglas Trimble. Every one of us who loves movies, who loves sound, and who loves realism in our sci-fi, we all bow to you and thank you for everything we did. We just wish we would have said a little sooner before you died, so maybe word could have gotten back to you. Yeah, I know. I think that, um, I think he knew he was on his way out. That's why the man who killed Hitler and and then Bigfoot was um, important to him. Yeah. No, he actually had cancer for like two years or three years, so he knew. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. He knew. Yeah, and so he knew, and he, he um, I think that's his love letter to us. And I'm I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that it's not sci-fi, and I'm happy that um, that he did it. And, well, he helped and bring it to And more people do need us. to see it. Yeah, I think so, too. Didn't, it did get nominated for an Oscar for some reason. I know it did. I know it Sound did. I design, remember. I think. Yeah. Because I one remember you award, and I talking what, about it, Stephen. Yeah, one of the toilet break awards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And ain't it sad that this year the whole Oscar run pretty much is the toilet toilet bowl awards? I don't have oh, man. a single curiosity or a favorite in any 
any of the catalog categories, not even best song. I, right, right. Well, you know what? I did watch the tragedy of Macbeth, and as I was watching it, I said, "Well, if they don't give Denzel Washington a nod for for this, they, they did. They're stupid, and so they did." And so I, I would have given the nod for coming. the woman that was playing, uh, who played the head of the three witches. She was so damn good. Oh, she was fantastic. Fantastic. I don't know who she was. She was great. Calling her because she's a Broadway uh, actress who's been a Shakespearean actress for I don't know how many years. Uh, when was the last time I was to Broadway? I'm just asking. I know I live <laughs> yeah, in New York. You know but... what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah, you but know I don't know the actress. Yeah, I don't. I don't know her name actually. I'd okay. have to check. Yeah, well, that uh, was um, a good film. I really uh, enjoyed it. I like the Cohen's take on it. I like the minimalness. It's my favorite Shakespeare. Absolutely, my favorite Shakespeare is Macbeth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, oh, her name is Catherine Hunter. And how she? There's even an article from the L.A. Times called "How Catherine Hunter Steals uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth." <laughs> nice. Oh, you know, you know what my favorite review of it was. What? I'm just going to quote some Hecate. words from oh, okay. it, Carl. It says okay. that spit hack from Texas, Joel Cohen, vomited another piece of crap out upon the movie. The tragedy of Macbeth is the worst film ever made in the history of bad movies. <laughs> Joel should be ashamed and apologize to everyone who goes see that movie. Can you guess who wrote oh that, Carl? God. I know exactly who wrote it, his brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ethan Cohen. I mean, I was just die crying laughing. Because this is Cohen's first solo movie. Ethan nice. is uh, retired to do, he wants to do stage plays from now on. Who does, Joel? Is that yeah, what you're talking Joel about, Joel? Joel wants to? Joel okay. is going to be doing the movies. Ethan oh. Uh, oh, is Ethan. Uh, okay. going to be doing nothing but move, uh, stage plays. Stage plays. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, this was um, so he so he hijacked his brother's desire for stage plays and put it on film. <laughs> <laughs> Was one of the best uh, oh, brothers. Uh, adaptions ever of a Shakespeare play. The tragedy of Macbeth is just good. Denzel is good. Is good. Uh, everyone is good in it. What's I her name? Nominate... Mrs. Cohen? Yeah. <laughs> she was good, too. That but was she's good in everything. Those, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering why... Usually Shakespeare movies get the nod, but not this year. They had, they had. It seems like they were trying to embarrass sci-fi. It's like, okay, let's pick the two most burpy 
sauce ourselves in in a long time and put them up for awards that's going to get everybody pissed off. Oh, yes. I really and I agree like with Dune. that. I like Dune. Uh, there are things about Dune that I really like. Like the cinematography, I knew that it should, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, this, this is good stuff, um, Oscar, you know, you're going to get nominated for an Oscar. But as best picture, oh, no, 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 no. It was like, uh, yeah, it's like when Carl was mad when uh, Saving Pride Ryan got nominated for best Oscar and the Thin Red Line didn't get squat. Right. Yeah. Thin Red Line was, I loved it. I I loved it. That's what I'll say. Well, which one film do you think is going to stand the 10-year test more, Carl? Mm-hmm. And just be honest, the Thin Red Line with a movie and cineasts or Saving Private Ryan? Saving Prime, Private Ryan. Oh, and yeah. it's, unfortunate. it's unfortunate. But that's the yeah. way it is. That's the way it is. I mean, take a look at the Oscars, right? Okay, and I've got the page in front of me. And I said this to to Stephen earlier. Okay, so you have to do 10 movies, okay, and and, which I disagree with, by the way. Uh, 10 movies. Okay, we've got eight movies. What other two movies can we put on there that, you know, aren't going to win? And let's just make them a genre that we don't really like anyway. I'm thinking that's the mindset. I don't know. Well, I'm thinking that uh, uh, Netflix is the new Miramax, where they're using as much money as they can to get nominated. Oh, and I agree with you. That's when we had years like The Artist. How many of you remember The Artist? I remember it. But not because I own it or ever watch it. Uh, I remember it because it was a travesty to put in for Best Picture anyway. You know, I yeah. put that right. in the same, right. same uh, sense of uh, Crash, the one that won uh, in, in the 2000s, oh. which Miramax. Again. Yeah, exactly. Shakespeare in Love. Uh, oh, that was a horrible movie. The English Patient. <laughs> I like that. Better, movie. But, better but not but not Oscar. Yeah. Winning. I like the you know what it's like Dune. I really love the cinematography for the English patient. The story was not quite I read I have the book, of course, but um not quite Oscar best picture. Mm-hmm. What and like is I said, pizza? Licorice Pizza is another uh, film where Paul Thomas Anderson is wanking off about his days in the 80s in California. Yeah. You know, oh, it was so much okay. better when I was a teenager. Oh, no wonder I didn't watch it. Now, I did watch Nightmare Alley. Pretty, so, but, va- pretty but vapid. Yes. Oh, my God. At the end, freaking Bradley Cooper's face, I'm just like, 
oh, my God, I sat here for how long, and this is the end? Bradley Cooper's face, blank? (laughs) (laughs) I read it on Saturday night. Yeah, the original had the better in line. He's like, we got any jobs? Yeah, we got the geek. You know what that is? He's like, yeah, I'm your man. And then the movie ends right there, doesn't it, Carl? And it should have ended right there. And that would have been a much better ending than what, five minutes later? How long? Yeah. How much longer was it? Yeah. About five, ten minutes. Del Toro's problem is he loves his own visuals too much. Yes, 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 yes. And, and that I, was like I, the fish movie. Go ahead, Carl. Okay, so so the other thing I just want to bring up too, and I don't know if if you've seen it or not, Becky, but I'm looking yeah. at at the Oscars Best Pictures, and I'm telling you right now, I did not get Power of the Dog, and I didn't like it at all. I had and, a friend and, who told me not to watch it, and I'm glad he told me not to watch it. <laughs> Here's the whole. There was animal abuse in that movie. Here's the whole movie. Yes. Pedophile stalks a young boy until young boy gives him a poisoned animal skin. So it's sort of like I drink your blood with pedophiles. Yes. Yeah. And they didn't care about the animals. There was animal abuse. Three animals died on that that set. Mm -hmm. And I just like, what? But then they could say... Jane Campion is the first woman getting nominated twice yep. for Best Picture. That's what they wanted. Yep. That's all they cared about. Okay, you know what? Look at the um, producers of all these movies, and it is almost even male-female. The, 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 if you put them on uh, balance uh, scales, there are just about as many female as male producers in Best Picture um, category. And, and that's what I see. And, uh, of course, The Power of the Dog and the film that I consider the derpiest, to just look at the intro picture if you're watching this on listen to Spotify, they're both Netflix. How does Netflix make best pictures? I know they've got more money than God ever had, but no, there's no but. Make... You just said it. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> they just have. But up in, the, I thought that could not get much derpier with your ecological message, pilot running, and then don't look up said. Hey, give me a hold second, man. I'll take care. Yeah, hold my beer. <laughs> then, oh, God. The only good part of the movie is the spo- is spoiler because you shouldn't watch it, is that there's a stinger scene that shows the bad guys getting off of the alien planet, and then the aliens eat them. That's yeah. the end. Yeah. Everybody yeah, dies. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I want I to see a black comedy where everybody dies, I'm going to watch the bed sitting room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. I you know, enjoyed you, it, you guys, but it was it it 
I like the whole premise of it. I like the fact that it was so much in the face of of what's happening in our world right now. But I don't think it's best picture. Just because I enjoyed it doesn't mean it's best picture. <laughs> it has no teeth, Vicky. It doesn't have any teeth at all. Right, Carl? No. That's, that's I mean, the problem. That's what I was going to say. That yeah. you have this movie... And you have all these great targets, and what do you do? You get you, instead of a rubber hammer or a steel hammer, you get a little flimsy foam rubber hammer, and you say, so "Ooh, wrong. that's huge!" Uh, You're I, so you know, they wrong. Really hey, let Biggie Finnis say, "You are Sorry. so wrong." Who do you think DiCaprio's um, uh, character was based upon? No idea. See? I only got like 30 minutes into it, and I, I had to stop. DiCaprio's um, uh, character is based upon Bill Nye the Science Guy. Because oh, he's cool. out there. Everyone thinks, everyone thinks that he's so sciencey, and, and we should listen to him. And, you know, um, back in 2004, I think it was, or 2005, I researched it for someone else because they didn't believe me, so I went and I got the articles and everything. Bill Nye, the science guy, yeah, he was sciencey for a while. And, yes, I bought into his um, planetary bullshit and paid them some money for a couple of years and got their little magazine. But it's all bullshit. He's in it for the money. And when he found out back in 2004, 2005, when he started doing little bits on on fictional television and got that big, that he didn't have to be Bill Guy, the science guy, running around doing real science. He just had to do his persona. And that's who DiCaprio's um, character is. And if you don't think that has teeth, then I'm I'm not understanding. Okay, I I want to defend Carl. What we're talking about is like uh, 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 the magic Christian. Uh, some you know films that hate, show hate and disgust for everyone on the world because of that's what they believe in that they rather mine a planet. Then save it. They, th- you know, right? But I think it they didn't were coming get deep at it a different way. The, yeah, it it didn't get deep enough and mean enough into the money is your god angles that should have. I think it wouldn't have been been made if it would have got any deeper into that. And yeah, and that's what's sad, right, Carl? Yeah. But we live in a okay, different so, world now. Uh, that's true. True. Go but go, can I just say something here? Yeah. My problem is if you take a look at the best satires, the best really angry satires, you take a look at Dr. Strangelove, just brutal. You take a look at, at Magic Christian, it's brutal. It does not Tell me the decade. Tell me the decade. 60s and 70s. And 90s, Bob Roberts. 90s with Bob Roberts. Not the 21st century with social media and all the other bullshit that brings you down. Well, we got that stupidity in the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, 
ad so far. It's like, dude, if you make one more move towards me with your camera, I'll cancel you. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just saw Doctor Who. I saw Doctor Who that absolutely destroyed the Internet from the time it was made, which was 2009. I'm an expert on that. Okay, that's the one with Matt Smith and, and, and the downloading of, of, of people into the Internet. And it's the first one where Jenna Coleman comes in as the regular uh, 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 Oh, right. Companion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Get uh, mm-hmm. Max Headroom and Blipbert. Yep. Right. Oh, it's it's there all over. You just don't get a chance to see it or don't even know it exists. Because they don't but want to know people, But Vicky is but right. We're afraid nowadays to really get into mean satire because it might hurt yes. so much feelings. Well, you know what? Right. We need to not Producing. be afraid of that. Okay? Well, you know what? That's not going away. It's getting worse. I live in the real world. You know, I have to go out and work. And I'm in that every single day. And it's getting worse. You, there are things that you cannot even utter at work, words that you can't say at work, or you're going to be marching into the boss's office, and you're going to be apologizing to somebody that you don't even know why you're apologizing. And that's the truth of it. Uh, so yeah, I know. there's not uh, enough teeth uh, in that movie, it's because they probably had to redo it. And they said, that needs to come out, and we're going to make it a little lighter here or a little fuzzier here so that we can actually put this movie out. Yeah. That's what I thought about it the whole time when I was watching Don't Look Up. They had to fuzz it up a little bit yeah. or else we'd never see it. The last really mean satire was probably about, when was it, about 2003, four when God Bless America came out, Carl? Yeah, and the, the other one, too, would be Thank You for for Smoking, too, is another yeah. one, too. Yeah, God about Bless the America had the guy get fired from his job for saying hello to a woman who felt threatened by him saying hello. Right, no. right. And but I also and the, had the smoking my, movie? Uh, yeah, the smoking go ahead, movie. Go ahead. It had one of my favorite lines ever when he shoots the Republican. He's like, I like you. I agree with something, most of the things you have to say. But you don't have to be an asshole about it. Right. Yeah. The um, the smoking movie, you know, you can't really find that out there. You can only Sadly. find it on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, because it's being censored. And so, and um, a lot of those films that are like the the one where the guy eats McDonald's for a month and gets really sick. I super can't think of the name of that. This. Oh, God. Yeah, Super Size Me. Those movies that um, are documentary film movies, um, those things are being censored also because you're hurting McDonald's as if McDonald's was a person. Well, they actually did a study, and they found that 90% of the science that he reported in oh, the Super Size This was utter bullshit made up by the filmmakers just to make their uh, own cost look bigger. 
Well, that's a terrible thing when you're that. Well, see, that's Bill Nye, the science guy, right there. Yeah. <laughs> and another and it, one he'll that's probably a great satire from uh, this one uh, decade is uh, the Confederate States of America, which is a satire documentary. You know this one, don't you? Oh, I do. Yeah, about what if the South won the Civil War and stuff. It's brutal, it's mean, it's scary how much it did fit back then in the OOs. Right, Carl? Very true. And it used real commercials from back in the 40s and 50s. And it brought its point more than, oh, we should ban this. Yeah, which is a bunch of crap, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I was a little ticked off about the uh, adapted screenplay Mm -hmm. that uh, Dune, I hate John Spates. I hate him with a passion. I like Eric Roth when he does lighthearted things. And um, Villanova, I'm just getting really um, tired of what he does. I'm tired of the same old thing, but adapted screenplay. How many times have people adapted it? They left so much out of that book of that novel. How dare they nominate it for um, best writing? Yeah. He turned a political book into a sci-fi movie. Yeah. I think he knows what I'm talking about. And, Carl, you know what I'm talking about, too. Dune is a political beast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There were no politics in that movie. There was nothing. It was a lot of spaceships, a lot of vistas, kind of epic in its scenery. You know what really, the one thing that I, I, there were a couple of things that they left out that made me very, um, nervous but you know the whole thing rests on spice on this planet and spice enables um, space travel and you never see the guys that use the spice that transform into yeah they haven't showed uh, any of the guild starliners and they were the ones exactly. who are you the most important and right. well they, if you remember they, the whole the, of it uh, David Lynch, dude, they wouldn't let him use one word out of the book. And you know what word that is, Carl? No. Jihad. They say, oh, that'll make people think of Muslims in war. And Carl's like, and he was like, uh, jihad means holy war, and that's what they're committing. Yes, but we don't yeah. have to really talk about that. Right. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> right, and so when that's an atrocity, um, giving them a nod for uh, writing. I, it's just, I don't know, it's just bad. I thought I haven't read any of the others. Okay, I don't, I don't know the source material of any of the others. Well, Paul dies in the middle of the second book and becomes a worm. Right. 
Right. But, no, no, I'm not talking about Dune. I'm talking about the other nominees for writing uh, adapted screenplay. But I mm-hmm. like um, that uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal um, is nominated for The Lost Daughter. I just, um, that makes me oh, happy. she's good. And, yes. I'm amazed she hit big in the 90s because she had a- and Carl knows what I'm saying. She had like a 70s face. Right. The kind of oh, face yeah. that they would put on the screen because they wanted to show real women. Well, she was in a Netflix show not too long ago, about maybe eight years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago. It was very good. It was, um, she was like an operative in the Middle East. And, uh, uh you know, she wasn't a, a deep operative or anything, but she was over there um, doing intelligence, and it was a good show. Can't oh, remember that's what the called. show that was adapted from the Israeli show. Uh, is that Homefront? No, no, no. That was that's um, what's her, what's her name from um, Claire Danes. The Shakespeare, yeah, Claire Danes. She was in that uh, that other Romeo oh, and Juliet okay. Shakespeare reimaging. Uh, film, and uh, but that one was okay. Um. So anyway, anyway, I uh, do you guys know any of these other films? Any of these other anything else yeah, that's uh, nominated? A uh, boy, uh, drive my car is the foreign movie of the moment, which is the film that. Everyone would go see to make themselves feel smarter because they went and watched a movie with subtitles. (laughs) I'm not joking. Carl knows I'm not joking. You know, there's always is one film like that once a year. Okay, well there you there you go. Even though I liked it, there would be blood is a good example of that. Uh, in the name of the Father is another one. Oh, okay. You know, and we won't even go into West Side Story. Never mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I heard. That's what the Oscars said about it. Or did it get nominated for Best Picture? Oh, it, it got did. nominated. It got nominated. Yeah, yeah. It got nominated. Uh, for Best uh, Picture. <laughs> I thought musicals had their own category. Not in no. Oscars. Not in Oscars. Uh, I also know that King Richard is about the father of Venus and Serena Williams. That's all I know. Yeah, that's that's oh, your really? Oscar. That's your mainstream Oscar bait movie of the year. Will Smith trying to win his Oscar. Oh, well, he didn't get nominated for anything other than that. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this. I, it whitewashes the story. Right. Uh, I will say this. I did just watch The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And oh, yeah. It's not a great good. movie, but she was really good in it. It's whitewashed also completely. But that, and, you know, yeah. that's beside the point. Yeah. And... I liked, uh, what's his name, uh, from uh, Backbeat, Oz, Jonah Jameson. 
Oh, uh, J.K. Simmons? Yeah, J.K. Simmons is great yeah. meeting the Ricardos. Uh, Javier Bardem, as much as I like his earlier work, he was just, him and Nicole Kidman were miscast as Lucy and Desi. Yeah, they were miscast. I tried to watch it, and I turned it off. No. I watched so much Lucy when I was a little kid that I could not I could not translate it into okay this is just a story somebody's trying to tell of them I couldn't I could not suspend my my belief okay my disbelief I Well if do I it. would have made that movie I would have made how Ricky Ricardo was the first Latino millionaire yes. who owned his own studio and yes. same with Lucy she was the first female power broker in television history. Right. Right. And how come they didn't do that? Why did they focus on having a yeah. baby? Wouldn't you consider that to be the interesting part of their career call, not them breaking up on the TV show? But but you know why they did that? A, because it, it was the first baby that was ever born on TV, but more importantly, yeah. that's what they think that's what they think people are interested in. Why did they break up? Why didn't they keep going? Well, you know, okay, and, I can tell you about that. Um, you know what's really popular now, the thing that I hate the most, reality TV, reality oh. videos on uh, TikTok, reality videos on uh, YouTube, all that reality stuff with all that romance and breaking up and all that kind of all that stuff, The Bachelor and, and all that stuff, that's why. That's why. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Because the young crowd are, is supposed to go after that kind of stuff, and they were trying to get the younger people to watch that show. Oh, and Carl yeah. knows this movie. I don't know if you do, Vicky. It's a sci-fi film from the 70s called Death Watch. And if you remember, Carl, the reviews of that movie with Harvey Keitel, he called it unbelievable that something like that can never happen. Well, ain't that a movie? (laughs) You know. Yeah, that's just like uh, the... The ongoing conversation I'm having with one of Carl's friends, um, Bill, Bill Reynolds, about he believes that AIs will never be sentient, and I'm, like, on the total opposite end of that. We've been having a long conversation on it. What about all yeah, the tech computers that can think, outthink humans, and, you know... Well, no, that that doesn't convince him. That that that's just algorithms. <laughs> Fuck you! I got Colossus the Forbin Project. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a movie called Computer Chess, which actually is rather interesting if you've never seen it. Go ahead. Basically, it's 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 sort of a satire. It's set in 1980 when the computers were just coming on. It's done in black and white. It was made uh, in the teens, like 2017, 2018. And it's, it's, it's sort of a really unique satire 
uh, on 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 geekdom and on chess players and uh, on computers particularly. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You should check it out. And, uh, you guys remember uh, that electronic Dungeons and Dragons thing that had the ability of over 20,000 different mazes programmed into this little electronic board where if you didn't want to go to the trouble of creating your own dungeons that were created for you, and if you went to the side where it determined that the wall was, it would tell you. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, how many of our dads, well, mine definitely did, had electronic chess games where they could just play against the computer itself. Oh, well, not my dad, but um, I, I aspired to have something like that, yes. What about you, Carl? Did you ever have played one of those or uh, no, you know? Well, what I could tell you is this, uh, that my family, uh, back in the day anyway, we were the first ones to have, we were one of the first people to have Pong. That's about as, That's about what we did. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, but you know what I mean? They were just... Uh, no, I'm not talking about video game. I'm talking about those electronic chess boards that had all the different moves already right. programmed right, right, right. and the computer would think. That's already a sentient because it thinks for itself while playing you in chess. Yeah, well, the the funny thing is I'm doing that now. I, 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 I'm on a, a chess site because uh, a friend of mine wanted to play chess. And and you can play computers or you can play people. So I've done both. Uh, it's rather interesting to say the least. Uh, I hadn't done that in a long time. But yeah, I mean it's all algorithms. It's all you know what what you can do or what you can't do. You know. Yeah, but there. Uh, who was I talking to the other day? I was talking to someone at work the other day about. Uh, okay, there's. Um, the the computers that that beat us in chess. There's the computers that beat us in Jeopardy. There's the computers that beat us in. Um, oh, I can't remember all the the games. I mean, the really complicated games that we humans play, and now the computers have beat us in all of them. And uh, does that prove sentience? And and so there's you know the the back and forth of that. And uh, the ones who say no, it doesn't, are the ones who say that um, it's just algorithms and algorithms. So there's all of that. But they can still beat us in all those games. All yeah, of program sin. We are programmed sentient beings. It depends on who raises us as kids. You know, they hold yeah. us. Our parents hold us by hands, by babies, and go, okay, that's, that's, you know. Right, right, right. And so Bill, he will say that our brains are nothing more than the the nerves stretching out and our lymphatic systems working so that we survive. It's survival of this this body because our brains 
want to, and that nothing, no machine could ever match that. Because we get hungry, because we feel pain, because we have to breathe, we have to stay warm, we have to, all those things that make us survive make us sentient, whereas a machine will never have that. Tamagotchis and the nineties had that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I need you with no, that discussion. Seriously. Yeah, you know, you know the Tamagotchis. They got hungry. Yes. You had to feed it. Keep That's it warm. Right. Keep it you... well. You know, no. Or they died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's um. I mean. We were, we're, well, we were talking about that, okay? You brought it up because you said there was that movie, and so, anyway, <laughs> it's kind but, of a tangent, huh? <laughs> no, there is people, and Carl's probably seen them play, where they can, already by the third move, judge how many moves it's going to take them to beat you, but, right, Carl? Oh, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And like computers and Bobby Fisher, some of them learn so much about chess and everything that they just burn out. Like a light bulb just... Well, I can see that too. Yeah. I can definitely see that. But um, yeah, I mean, there are so many different good movies... uh, that came out last year that did like uh it didn't get nominated for nothing. And I think that's mm-hmm. because and I'm gonna be honest, Carl. Uh uh Schrader was saying some stuff on there and uh his company that put it out said they were going to pull advertising if he didn't shut up. <laughs> well that's so, of course Schrader. Yeah, so I don't even think they put out an awards campaign for it. No, I don't think they did either. Which makes no sense. Why does a movie have to be promoted with a four-year consideration before they consider it? I don't know. Seems stupid. It's like I give all 20 movies, but I put like uh, 10 movies on there with like little post-it notes saying four-year consideration. Which one would you watch first, Carl? Uh, uh, that's a good question. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I for your consideration, I'd consider. But you know what? These days, I don't – to me, the films that always interest me are the ones that sort of go under the radar anyway. I mean, um, you know, Back we haven't mentioned Pig. We haven't mentioned Pig yet, and that is a right, brilliant right. film. Right, exactly. I think that it's a lot a, of the Oscar guys were confused about that because they were expecting uh, a revenge movie, and that ain't what you get. No. It's just like the uh, the, the man who killed uh, uh, Hitler and then Bigfoot. Uh, by the title, you expect something, but it, it ain't it. Okay, same with Pig. Well, everyone's so literal. Everyone is so literal these days because of reality TV and videos. Everyone's so literal, they don't understand. 
understand metaphor. It's I've never had a harder time teaching metaphor than I do now because everyone's so bloody literal. And that that's that's a, a back turning in critical thinking in just enjoyment of life. And that's what's happening. Agreed. Agreed. And it's a shame because I I don't think we we give uh, enough uh, uh, attention to these smaller films. I really don't. I mean, the card counter, you know, to me, it's quintessential uh, Schrader. And, And to me, it was the best film of the year. But then again, I'm a poker player. You know, and it has a lot of poker in it. I love Schrader. I love what he does. You know, the movie's made for me. And what do I always say? If a movie's made for me, it ain't going to get anything from for awards. Seriously. I agree because most of the movies I like, which I don't even have a movie I like that much in 2021. Seriously, just don't have a movie I like. I can't, okay, maybe The Green Knight, not, I don't even think The Green Knight was the best film ever, but I liked it, but other than that, I just, I don't know. I like The Green Knight. You might like it, Carl. It's like a cross between uh, Mormon's Excalibur and Zardoz. That's what I understand. You haven't seen it? No, I have it not seen it. It hasn't been on uh, free streaming yet. It's still, give us some oh, money, yeah. give us some money. Right, that, That's right. another thing I don't like about nowadays is that they hold on to movies too damn long on this yep. paper streaming thing. Yep, I know. And that's I'm, why I'm all of the of sci-fi series, the horror series, uh, Reacher, they're doing better than ever before. You know why? You don't have to pay an extra price to get them. Right. Exactly. You just, you know. They're already on the streaming service. You yeah. don't have to go out of your way to go buy a one one time. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, I, don't, I love the, the Matrix, like, but would I pay cash to see it? Probably not. I would have, you know, in before COVID, I would have gone to the movie theaters to see it. Of course I would have. And I wouldn't have been unhappy. But now that I pay for HBO Max, it better be on my HBO Max. I pay a lot for HBO Max every month. So it better be on there. And same with Dune. I would have gone out before Dune, I mean before COVID, to see Dune. Of course I would have. And I would have been satisfied with that experience. But now that I have to pay for HBO Max, um, it better be on my HBO Max. And I would have been wholly pissed off if I would have gone out and paid for Reminisce and Reminisce whatever it was called, with Hugh Jackman in it, and I came out of that movie theater paying for it because that movie pissed me off. I hated that movie. And, yeah, and uh, not that it wasn't uh, visually beautiful. 
And the so, yeah. giving away free premium movies is going to bite the streaming channels in the ass because uh, when they first tried this was Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, they lost 60% of the viewers after the new viewers had logged in their watch of Wonder Woman and their free child and ended. Right. Right. And that's what's going to happen when they stop putting them on like HBO Max. If Unless HBO Max starts churning out the shows, not just the movies, but the shows, they're, I'm going to drop them also. That's the way it's going to go. Because if I have to go to the movies to see the movie and still pay HBO Max, I'm not doing it. I don't have that much money. Forget it. Yeah, I'm just if, an average person. He already knows that when it comes to great sci-fi, you have Amazon Plus, and even though your favorite one on there is ending this year. Oh, yeah, it just ended. I'm not so happy with how it ended either. Yeah. But, well, um, you, you know what? Well, we'll I just get went to that through... later. Yeah. Let, well, we let, should do a show know. on that. We should do a show on sci-fi endings and <laughs> the ones that jump the shark or not, you know. But yeah, cool. I just was going through the um, the what is it the I am uh, DB um, twenty twenty one <clears throat> films and I got to number one hundred and thirty one and it had a, a rating of 7.1 and i really enjoyed this movie you know what it's called what the dig what the dig terry mulligan oh. and ralph um um uh, ralph Fiennes. yeah i don't know why anyway and i'm looking at his name right there sorry ralph um that was a really fantastic film nice and quiet and really important to human beings and what happens to us when extraordinary things overwhelm what we're trying to do, like COVID. And um, that was a good movie. Totally good yeah, movie. Yeah, totally you my time. streaming has helped the quirkier little films more than it right. helped the big films. But, Carl, do you really think that the streaming services are really thinking? Can you go back once you get to see one big Hollywood release a month to, well, you got to go out to the theaters again. Can you put the two space tube guys or put the genie back in the bottle? Can you, Carl? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, um, I think what you can do is adapt. Now, whether or not they'll be able to adapt is a different story. Okay? Uh, but yeah. Okay, I but adapt in that, what way? What are well, you that's, saying? That's, the question, that's the question, isn't it? That's the million-dollar question. Because what you're looking at is they've got to rethink their whole uh, specific idea. Because nowadays with COVID... I haven't been to a movie theater in over two years, and I'm not going to a movie theater until I think it's safe. But do I want to go back to a movie theater? Absolutely. It's a different experience than seeing something on on uh, um, 
Street. you know, on, on the streaming services. Do I want to do that? Absolutely. Will it happen? I'm not sure. But what they can do is 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 take a look and and enhance the movie going experience when it's safe to go back. And how do you do that? And that's a good question. Well, yeah. do you that's remember back in your guys' day? Do you remember what the big invention that saved movie theaters for a while until they were able to adapt was? Uh, that would be air conditioning. Right, air conditioning. Yep. Now, now it's so cold you have to bring your coat in the middle yeah. of summer. <laughs> but what I mean yeah. is something like that. Nobody had air conditioning in their houses. And then all of a sudden, always twenty, always a cool, crisp, so-and-so, 60 degrees inside. Oh, yeah, let's go watch it. I don't want to see a movie. Yeah, but it's a long movie and there's air conditioning. Oh, shit. Well, um, I I kind of disagree with you, Carl, because I know that I'm not the average family right now. And when I turn on my big screen TV with my surround sound and and pop myself my favorite popcorn and sit down to watch jumble. a film, yeah, you, it's tough too. Okay. Um, nothing beats that because I don't get interrupted. Nobody puts their phone in my face. Well, um, the movie is going coughing. The, the, the seat doesn't smell like 15 people have sat there. I, I'm not freezing to death. I can be comfortable. I, I that's hard, really hard to, uh, move away from now. Well, do you remember how you uh, seen the signal, Vicky? What they do to that yeah. theater? They brought in Barca loungers. They made it just like it would be at your house. <laughs> yeah, except those things don't fit little people like me, and I am more more uncomfortable in one of those things than I've ever been in a movie theater. I don't like them, but I know I'm the minority. But but you know what, Vicky? Okay, so so let's let's say they develop a way to make you comfortable, whatever it would be, or to make the, the the general populace comfortable. And then you've got the big screen, you've got the sound. It becomes a communal experience, which is what I love in the theater. It is a communal yeah. experience. You you prefer yeah. it as a singular. Or I get let Vicky wrap things up. Is that we need the new generation's William Castles, guys that yes. know how to yep. hustle and how to sell different ideas. Yes, I agree. Well, we agree. Yeah, we're all, we have, yes, we he need um, the young Douglas Trumbulls out there to get in and do these things because we only have 30 seconds left. And so this has been really great, you guys. Look at how long we've gone and we're still going. And so um, thanks for listening, everyone out there. Uh, Douglas Trumbull, look at his films, look at his work. Be grateful that he was in our lives to bring us those great films. And uh, the Oscars, I'm sitting these out. What about you guys? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I could okay, well, I'm going to be like a non-rounder looky-loo. 
which is yep. like the people that's interested in fort in the Super Bowl but really don't give a darn about it. They just lean the head in the room. Who's winning? Our side is. Okay, see you later. Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, I want to um, say thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And uh, we got to say goodbye. So, Carl, say goodbye. Carl, say goodbye. There you go. <laughs> um, Steven, say goodbye to everyone. Goodbye, everyone, and thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. thank you so much, everyone. This was great. Thank and, you to have the whole crew back. This was wonderful. I just want you all to yeah. know that. Well, um, thanks, Stephen. Absolutely. It was brainchild. Okay, so thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time. All right, good night. Good night, sweetheart. Where is time to go? Good night, sweetheart. Where is time to go? I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart.